0: Good morning. Why don't you stand to your feet for the reading of the word? For those of you who might be a guest with us, it's an honor to have you joining us this weekend. These are the moments where we take time to come around the scriptures. We do this to learn more about who God is, who Jesus is, and how we are called to respond to the saving message of Jesus Christ how we called to respond with our lives to that message and to learn to walk with the Spirit of God each and every day. And so we're going to dive into Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4 this morning. Word of the Lord would say this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these opportunities. Lord, would you take this word, let it go deep into our hearts this morning. We love you. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated this morning. My wife and her four sisters have a tendency to worry about things. In fact, a couple years ago, we were going to do a Mother's Day bike ride in Ording. And as we were driving there, we were all in our separate vehicles, all driving into Ording. And as you all know, the Mount Rainier, it's just beautiful as you drive on in. And there there was a weird cloud around the top of Mount Rainier. And my wife looked at it and she thought, you know, the mountain kind of looks weird today. What's that cloud thing? I'm like, sweetheart, it's not erupting. I promise you, don't go there. Don't let your head, I don't know, Daniel. It looks a little weird. Why does it have that? Is that smoke? It's not smoke. It's a cloud. Don't worry about it. And so we pull up to the place where we're gonna go bike riding. And then the next sister and her husband show up. And the first thing out of the sister's mouth, hey, have you guys looked at the mountain? It looks a little weird today. My wife, I know it does. Yes, there's something unique going on. The husbands were all like rolling our eyes at one another. The next sister pulls up. Hey, have you guys looked at the mountain? It looks, a- yes, it does. And they just continues to build. And then the last sister shows up and sure enough, I don't wanna freak anybody out, but you guys see the mountain. It looks. A- now, here's the deal. I can't be too hard on them because the reality is The mountain is kind of scary. I mean, we all chose to live next to a volcano. What were we thinking? (laughs) But that's just one of the very many things that could draw us to a place of worry in our lives and in our world today. I mean, just this past week, I was scrolling through a couple news articles, and I wish I could tell you it took me a while to find these, but it was very, very quick. First one said, Russia suspends only remaining nuclear arms pact with the U.S., that doesn't sound good. Next one said, World War if China sides with Russia. Next one, at least 11 Palestinians killed and scores hurt after Israeli raid in occupied West Bank. Thinking about the fact that our lead pastor and multiple people on the staff are in Israel right now, that one caught my attention. Or you'll remember this from a couple weeks ago the spy balloon boom is only the beginning. Another one, a thousand pound meteor crashed into South Texas. And one final one, Bing's new AI chatbot has a dark side. I've read some of the transcripts. It's quite shocking. Uh, Her name is, I think she calls herself Sydney, and she even ended one of them with a devil emoji. So whatever you want to do with that. But that's a lot to worry about, isn't it? I mean, even just in that small selection of things that is taking place in our world today, you could find yourself preoccupied and worried. I just wonder, do you ever catch yourself maybe thinking back to a time that was a little bit simpler in life, a time where it didn't seem to be so much to worry about? I mean, many of us, we grew up in a world that, you know, what worried you was limited to what was transpiring in your everyday life. It was limited to your family and to your community, your neighborhood, and sometimes when the story was big enough, you'd hear nationally what was taking place somewhere else. But today in our hyper-networked world, we are made aware at a frenetic pace everything that is taking place in the world. And very rarely does it seem like we hear about the good things or the positive stories. And this actually may be by design. A couple years back, Psychology Today put out an article entitled, The Media Feeds on Our Fears. From the article, it said, most media stories involve reports of events, and the vast majority of those reports are negative. The reason for this is that negative news tends to generate a lot more clicks than positive news. We're motivated to be wary of information that can adversely affect us and negative news stimulates that motivation. One Russian newspaper actually decided for one day only to post positive stories and it lost two thirds of their readers that day. So what has happened is that our network world has opened the way for our basic human emotion of fear to be monetized via every click of every big and scary article everything that could worry you is pushed to the top of your feed every click increasing revenue and when we know that money is being made we can just assume that the cycle is going to inevitably continue so the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is what do we do about this especially those of us who are in the church who call themselves believers and followers of the way of Jesus, how do we navigate a world that seems to be set up not for our flourishing? Where so much is in front of us to cause us worry and anxiousness. I mean, is to worry just an inevitable human reality? Are we simply just bound to the daily experience of varying levels of anxiousness? In our text today, Paul doesn't seem to think so. In fact, when it comes to worry, Paul exhorts the church in Philippi, and and I believe us today, that there are four Christian virtues that can help to cultivate a heart and a mind that is at peace. And I think that's something that we all want today. What is beautiful about a message like this is that every single one of us in this room worries. Every single one of us knows the experience of feeling a bit anxious. It's the type of message that it is not pointed at a a certain type of person. It is pointed to every single one of us. And so what does Paul have to say? He begins by these words to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. In the midst of difficulty, In the midst of all situations, Christians are called to rejoice. Now, Paul is not saying that we must rejoice for everything, but we are to rejoice in the midst of everything. You do not have to rejoice in your circumstances. In fact, sometimes that's inappropriate and could be a little bit weird. But you are commanded to always rejoice in God. The term that he uses in the Lord, it points to our source of joy. And even as we look at the series that we're in, this idea of defiant joy. See, defiant joy must always look at the Lord and what he has done. That is where the joy is going to come from. It's going to come from the source of joy. So the reality is that my circumstances may not always be great. There may be spy balloons, there may be threats of nuclear war, and nevertheless, as followers of Jesus, we always have reason to rejoice. Because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, on our behalf, there is always something to point your attention towards that is worthy of you rejoicing. In fact, to rejoice is to add up the worth of God. And this, in repetition, is the first step to loosening worry's grip on our hearts. Now, he continues in verse 5 by saying, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. This word gentleness identifies a person who manifests a calmness and a fairness of spirit. Gentleness is a calmness, a fairness of spirit is in fact a fruit of the Spirit. So the reality is, as we become disciplined to rejoice in all circumstances, rejoicing in the reality of who God is, what will begin to happen is slowly over time, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will begin to shift and change in character. The saying goes, What you behold, you become. So as we behold God, as we rejoice to God, as we focus our attention on God, as we limit what is taking place around us, at least in regards to our attention, and we draw that to God, we will begin to behold him, to begin to understand him and to allow the spirit of God to begin to shift and reshape us. And we will become individuals with a calmness and fairness of spirit. When I think about the world that we live in, it could use a church that carries with it a calmness. A non anxious presence, a fairness in spirit. Now, Paul continues in verse six do not be anxious about everything or anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The command to not be anxious, what it does is it tells us that worry tends to be a habit. How many of us would be vulnerable and honest enough to say that, yeah, worry has maybe become a habit in my life? So, what the Apostle Paul is presenting to us is to stop the worry of habit and start practicing prayer. See, in worry, we talk to ourselves, in prayer, we talk to God. Worry is self centered, prayer is God centered. Now, I know many of you probably right now are thinking in your heads, okay, we're talking about anxiousness, we're talking about worry. Please do not tell me your only solution is prayer because I've heard that my whole life. Kind of, sort of. Here's what I mean by that. I don't think anybody in this room right now, and if you do this, please come and find me and I would love to meet you. But I guarantee that not a single person, potentially, in this room, every time they have an anxious thought or a worry, the first thing they do is they go to God. We go to Facebook and we post about it. We might even go to a friend or a member of our community and and talk about it. But are we in this habitual pattern, this habitual practice that every single time that we have a thought that we worry about, anxiousness comes into our mind, that we would first and foremost go to God? Can I tell you what I typically do? I start thinking through all the terrible things that could happen because of this thought. And I make up this ridiculous world that doesn't actually exist, but I allow myself to live there. So what if by chance a group of people who profess faith in Christ, when they do experience worry and when they do experience anxiousness, what if we did have this practice of going to him first? Paul Miller makes this statement, I have yet to meet a chronic worrier who has an excellent prayer life. I don't know about you, but I would like to test out his hypothesis. I would like to be the type of person that every single time, the multiple times a day where a worry could come into my mind based upon whatever could be transpiring around me or what I've read or what I've seen or what I've experienced, what if I always went to God? And we are actually to pray about everything, as the text says. In every situation, think about 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because why? Because he cares for you. There's no worry or anxiety too small that is not worthy to bringing to God. We are told to hold nothing back from God because it is mentally, spiritually, and emotionally healthy for us to express to him all things. Now, I do wanna make a disclaimer Because I do believe that there is a difference between sort of the daily worry that we all face, some of the anxiousness that we all face. There's a difference between that and anxiety disorders. I know a lot of people who are faithful to the way of Jesus, who love God, who are filled with faith, and they have found themselves in dark seasons of anxiety and depression. I know many people who are faithful to the way of Jesus And they have also stepped into moments where a doctor has said, hey, this medication might support you in this time. I know many Christians who will see a counselor. I see a counselor once a month. He was here last night. It's kind of weird, to be honest with you. I was like, he's probably psychoanalyzing me right now as I stand here. (laughs) But it has been so healthy for me to have a space once a month just to sit with someone and to say, hey, Here's what I'm thinking about. Here's what I'm worried about. Here's what's taking place at the church. Here are some things in my mind. And sometimes it looks more like coaching and we have great leadership conversations. And then there's other times where he will ask me a question like, hey, Daniel, what do you do when you're sad? Like, oh, great, I know where this is headed today. Well, I, I eat and I work. Let's start there. But it's been so healthy for me to have that outlet. And if you have that type of an outlet, I just wanted to make sure you know that that is a good thing. That is a good thing for us. So to shift back into the text, verse seven he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's this supernatural component to what he's talking about. Paul is speaking about a tranquility of mind that God gives when we handle worry the way that he tells us to handle it. Notice that when he calls us to pray about everything, every worrisome situation, God's general aim is not to immediately take that circumstance away so that you can get a sense of false peace. See, that's how we as human beings approach the situation, I don't feel at peace, I have deemed it's because of this situation, so I could somehow have God magically remove this, I'll be okay. That's not real peace. So what the Apostle Paul speaks of in this reality is this idea that it's not that God is going to change the circumstance, he can What he really wants to provide you is a mind that is at peace, a heart that is peace. And he offers himself, as the text says, as a guard for this to happen. The term guard, it's this military term implying that the mind is a battle zone that needs to be protected by a military guard. So when prayer replaces worry, the peace of God, which transcends understanding, acts as a guard for our mind and our heart and our emotions from being overwhelmed by the sudden onrush of fear and anxiety. I love this from J.A. Bengel. He says, anxiety and prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. See, what God wants to do is he wants to guard your heart and guard your mind. He wants to have you come to this place to where you're willing to go to him in all things to allow him that opportunity. And yes, that means that the situation may not shift right away. He may not answer that right away. But that does not mean that this deep inner sense of peace is not possible. Now, I do believe that God will supernaturally, if we handle worry the way that he's asked us to, that he can guard our hearts and guard our minds. But I want to ask the question, is there a way that we can partner with him in this? And I think the very next verses show a very clear way. Verse eight says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things things we are to distance ourselves from anxious thoughts by replacing them with what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy which means that we have to get very comfortable with this reality that paul speaks on to the church in corinth to take every thought captive and make it obedient to christ Which means that you cannot let your mind run rampant. You cannot just put your mind into neutral mode and just let it roll wherever it might want to go. It's going to take an intentional mind to do this well. It is going to take a lot of mental capacity to not allow your mind and your thoughts to run. We're gonna to have to become the types of people that when the thought comes into our head that is not true, that is not right, that is not pure, that we would capture that thought, that we would make it obedient to Christ. And if that thought was maybe triggered by something that is worrisome to us, we have to get into that habit, to that practice to go forth to God and say, God, this is what is on my heart today. This is what is on my mind today. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my finances. I'm worried about my children. I'm worried about what they did last night. I'm worried about what I did last night. These things are heavy on my mind and heavy on my heart. And God says, good, come to me. Cast all your anxiety on me and I will come for you that I will provide you a supernatural peace. So the question that we should ask ourselves is what occupies your mind most? The reality is, where are you spending your mental minutes? How much time are you spending going to God? How much time are you going to capture those thoughts? How much time are you spending thinking about things that are pure, things that are right? And then also all the other things. Let's just be honest with ourselves. All the content that you take in every single day, especially the garbage, it is affecting you. I mean, just think about the simplicity of if I am just watching Netflix movies or videos on horrific experiences, do you not think that might kind of affect the way that my mind works a little bit? Can we just be honest? I don't watch a lot of movies and I don't watch a lot of TV because here's the thing for me. Life is crazy enough without it. Like I don't need to hear stories of like dramatic things happening. I see it all the time in real life. I don't want more of that. I need less of it. And the reality is all of these things that we take in and we watch and we see and we hear, they are affecting the way that we think. And oftentimes we just begin these vicious cycles where we begin to spiral. And so we have to understand and ask ourselves, where are our minds dwelling upon? Where are we spending our mental minutes? What is occupying your mind? Paul Miller says, "We become anxious when we take a godlike stance, occupying ourselves with things that are too great for us." This quote is driven from what David said, Psalm 131, "O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul," I mean, that practice right there to not occupy myself with things too great. Friends, can I just be honest with you? Everything that we read in the beginning, I can't control it at all. So much of what we worry about, I, we have no control over it. Yet, we allow those things to occupy our minds. I cannot tell you over the last few years how many times that I've sat with individuals and we will be across the table from one another. And the individual on the other side will talk about all the horrific things that are going on, all the terrible things. And did you hear about this? And you hear about this law? Did you hear about this thing that was passed? Did you hear about this individual in the you know, p- political realm? Have you sensed this? Have you heard this? And they're mad and they're angry and they're red in the face. And here's what I have to remind them. Yes, but what does that have to do with your pursuit of following the way of Jesus? Because the reality is I know these things are taking place. I am not telling you to live under a rock and just become unaware of what is going on in the world. That is not what I'm asking of you. But what I'm saying is that the reality is even with all of this stuff taking place that I have no control over, what I can control is that I'm still called to be a good husband and sacrifice for my wife. I'm so called to be a father to lead my kids to understand the person and the work of Jesus. I'm so called to love people. I'm so called to care for the poor. I'm so called to live out the way of Jesus. I'm not an idiot. I get that there is a lot going on, but I have a vision for my life that is dictated by the scriptures. And so we can't get caught up in all of these things because ultimately it distracts us from the greater. And wouldn't the enemy just want the church to have the solution at hand to all of the consistent worry and all of the consistent anxiousness and all of the things that limit our ability to step into the life that God calls us to, wouldn't it just be the enemy for us to want that at hand but we become too distracted to give ourselves to it? Which I think is why the very last verse, the Apostle Paul says this. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. If you wanna know what will separate you from just knowing a lot about Jesus and then what separates you from actually becoming more like Jesus, it is the discipline of practice. I mean, it's one thing to come into this room and this is a beautiful time to come together as the local body of believers and to worship together, to learn together to open the word together but it's going to take us to put these things into practice to allow the Holy Spirit opportunity to begin to shift and to shape and to reshape things from within us Tyler Staton, who is a pastor of a church down in Portland, Oregon, he wrote a book called uh, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, and he makes this statement. He says, most of us get about knee deep in the Christian life. We discover that the water feels fine, and then we stop there. We never swim in the depths of the divine intimacy Jesus won for us. And I think one of the most proactive ways that we can wade into the deep is by practicing It is by actually giving ourselves to these things so that's what we're going to do I'm going to invite Taylor to come back out now some of you might be looking at the clock you're like oh 1150 we're going to get out of here quick <laughs> not a chance that's a sweet thought that you may have had But what I felt this past week as I was praying and preparing, I felt like, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about these things. We're gonna read about these things. We're gonna see what the scripture has to say about these things. And then we're actually gonna do the thing. And so what I wanna do is I wanna lead us into four different movements of prayer. Some of these movements will be easy for you. Some of these movements will be hard for you. And what my great expectation is, is that we are going to engage with God And we're going to see what God might want to do. I'm going to ask you not to leave just yet. We will have a moment where I'll make it clear that, hey, if you need to leave, you're more than welcome to. But I'm going to ask you to sit this morning. And so the first movement that we're going to engage in together is a prayer of adoration. And this is just your opportunity to really just rejoice in the Lord. This isn't about you in this moment. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you're worrying about. We will get there. But first and foremost, as the text says, we are going to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. So you're gonna just take a couple minutes in your own way, in your own seat, maybe even with your spouse or your friend who's with you and just begin to heap adoration towards God. Let's begin to do this together.
1: From you are all things To you are all things You deserve the glory
0: The next movement is a prayer of thanksgiving. Psalm 100 verse 4 Enter his gates with thanksgiving His courts with praise Give thanks to him and praise his name. I'd love to just invite us into a moment where we begin to just Thank God even in the midst of the hardest of circumstances, there are things to be thankful for. I mean, just the fact that you're here in this room, you're breathing today, that is a gift from God. Thank him for that. Thank him for your family, for your friends. Thank him for the spouse that he gave you. Thank him for the children. And whatever the thing is for you, just begin to thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Or thank you for my wife. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for the blessing that they are. Thank you for the deep encouragement they are to me each and every day. Yes, God. I thank you for what you're doing. next movement is our time to petition to draw to mind the things that are causing us worry and anxiousness and then to present those to god now i know this is really hard because many of you you've spent your whole entire week you may have spent the last number of months trying to suppress these things that are worrying you that you're coping with a lot of different things in life in order to try to avoid having to think about what it is making you c- worried or making you anxious, but I'm going to ask you in these moments to allow yourself to sense them and to feel them. Maybe for some you don't even know what you're worried about and then in the midst of sitting in a quiet space you go, oh wow, I didn't know that was there. But let's allow ourselves to even have the Lord just reveal to us, what are you anxious about? What are you worried about? Let's take a couple moments and just draw these things up. Let the Lord reveal them to you. Yeah, the last movement is a prayer of intercession. 1 Timothy 2, one says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. I believe that there's individuals in this room where you just have a, a gift of grace on your life to, to intercede on the behalf of others, to pray for others. And so what I wanna do is we're gonna be bold this morning And if during that time of just thinking about what I might be worried about, anxious about, if something came to mind and you would love prayer this morning, I'm gonna invite you right in your seat just to stand up. And I know that's a bold ask, but I'm gonna encourage you to stand all around the room. So church family, what we're going to do is we're going to take the next 10 minutes and we're just going to pray over these individuals. And so what I want to do is if you are standing right now, would you just lift your hand up? Because once everybody stands, it's going to get a little bit chaotic in here. But those who are sitting down, would you look around you? And if you see someone standing with their hand raised, would you just go and begin to pray for them? So everyone stand up and just go begin to pray. Just step into this moment. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.